0: Well, John, we have another interesting show lined up for today. You know, Congress is actually doing something. They passed a bill. Are they, they getting... They're looking. They're, they're looking at it. They're yes, working on it. They, working. The House has passed the
1: bill. Together. The Together.
0: Yeah. But yeah, we're going to talk about um, today some new legislation out there that could help you uh, with your retirement investments. Um, I know it's hard to believe, but there's a new act out there called the SECURE Act. And, uh, you know, it does some interesting things. So we're going to talk about how that may... That may apply to you in your retirement plan.
1: Yeah, that's a good, uh, good topic. Some good things in there as well, like some of the items. Uh, and we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and uh, we're going to dive into a, a topic by uh, DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors. And, um, you know, Steve, it's interesting. This article kind of talks about how, you know, there, there may be a new idea in finance that comes along every 10 or 15 years that you need to take a look at. But there's a new marketing idea every week. Every right.
0: single week, it never stops. And
1: there's a new trend or whatever, and you know it's dangerous. That's why people are, uh, a lot of folks are struggling to get to retirement. Is they're, they're, they they keep their eye off the the ball and they're following these marketing gigs and so forth, and it messes them up. So we're going to dive into some of the historical ones and kind of get you focused on what yeah. you should focus on. And
0: as advisors, we hear about every single one of them.
1: We do. We get an email about <laughs> we an hey, email what do you about every this? day. Hey, don't you one think on, this
0: is a good idea? Got one
1: on <laughs> cannabis stocks like, today uh,
0: no it's not a good idea yeah. <laughs> and well by the way i'm steve marbert i'm a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey smart Vester pro with over 24 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice
1: and I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years.
0: And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon.
1: Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. We also have a lot of other tools and videos. have a Facebook page sitting out there. We put a uh, post out there, and uh, occasionally we'll put a Twitter uh, feed. Not occasionally. Not in, occasionally. LinkedIn <clears throat> We do, as we do well. tweet.
0: They're not quite as insightful as, as our presidents. That's right. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, we do tweet a little bit. Yeah. And you can reach us by email too. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with our financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, this is a a pretty interesting fact, Steve. You know, the S&P 500, if you go back in history all the way back to 1926, it's it's averaged about, you know, 10%. It's returned about 10% a year. Yep. But when you dive into the details, only 6 years out of those 93 years have the has returned fallen between 8 and 12%. So, you know, people think, "Hey, I'm going to be at what? 9 or 10 or 11." It's pretty it's volatile. Not a, it's
0: not a straight ten no. percent every single year. would that be nice? I mean, come on, come I on. mean, that wouldn't make our job <laughs> any fun, now would it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is amazing how people think the stock market is. They kind of think of it as, you know, a bad year is five percent, a good year is fifteen percent. You know that's not the way it works. The market is a lot more volatile than people realize
1: <clears throat> it is i mean most of the time it's significantly different than that eight to twelve percent range uh, like only six out of ninety three years that's really interesting it is it doesn 't fall in that range
0: small percentage
1: The other piece mm. other kind of fact is is that twenty five percent of the time the the markets have have been down so when you look over that time frame. Even though the markets return 10%, there's been a lot of down years. And so,
0: you know, when you're investing,
1: you got to build that into your plan and you also have to build that into your psyche that there will be down years. And, and you got to have a process in place to handle those down years.
0: That's exactly right. But, you know, it is interesting how often the analyst prediction for the year is within 10 or, or yeah. 8 to 12%. Oh, they absolutely. always predict it's going to be between 8 and 12%. Because they never want to stray far from the average. You've never noticed that? Oh, but. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but they have no clue. They have no clue. Yeah. That's that's the point. You know, nobody really has a clue what the market's going to do. They can't predict it. You can't predict it. That's the moral of the story here. All right. And uh, that leads us right into our first topic here, and that is new retirement legislation that could help you um, with your retirement plan. Yeah, this is based on uh, an article out of USA Today, very new, um, from Susan Tomper and, um, but you know, John. I mean, across the retirement spectrum, you know, of savers, whether it's the baby boomers or millennials, there a lot of them are fretting about whether they're going to have enough to really be able to afford to retire. And so, we have some good news for those that are anxious about retirement. Congress is actually doing something. Wow, a little bit. I mean, they're trying a little bit. Okay, they're trying. They're looking at some key changes as a bipartisan part of a retirement bill called the SECURE Act. it's uh, It stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. They always come up with some fancy oh, name for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the bill has passed the House uh, in May, and it awaits action in the Senate now. So it'll be interesting to see if the Senate takes action on it. Um, but too often, of course, you know, people haven't really saved very much for retirement in fact, it is estimated that about 48% of households aged 55 and older have no retirement savings in 2016, um like a 401k plan or an IRA. So that's almost half of America has nothing, I mean, for retirement.
1: Yeah. And when people do save, typically it doesn't go very far. I mean, especially if they're living 15, 20, sometimes 30 years into retirement. I mean, the average 401k balance is about $104,000. And that's looking at over 17 million retirement accounts held through Fidelity. And um, after a pretty, pretty strong year, um, you know, so far this year, and the average IRA balance was about $107,000. So certainly that's different for age groups. Millennials it's about 27,000, for baby boomers it's about 193,000. So sounds like a lot and it's it's a decent amount of money, but it just doesn't last. I mean if you're taking no. 5% withdrawals off of a $200,000 balance, I mean that's 10 grand a year. That doesn't
0: buy you a lot. That doesn't get to you very far. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. And you know, I mean, if you look at some of the other categories like the millennials, you know, the average saver was only twenty six thousand as of the first quarter of this year. Baby boomers was one hundred ninety two thousand. So there's a big disparity there, of course, you know. Um, but if you imagine a baby boomer having less than two hundred thousand dollars saved up for retirement, particularly if you don't have a pension, that that really is nothing in terms of creating income, like you said. Um, but, you know, to be sure, I mean, some savers have gained ground um, since the financial fallout 10 years ago in 2009, uh, you know, the financial crisis that we had. I mean, for example, the average 401k balance for baby boomers who have been saving consistently in, in plans for the last 10 years is about $357,000, <clears throat> um, up from a paltry 76000 in 2009, according to Fidelity so you know that's that's a pretty good sum, um, but those are people that have been saving consistently for ten years. So that's obviously not the majority of America. By contrast, the average balance was two hundred sixty-eight thousand for Generation Xers who have been saving consistently, and then for Millennials who have been saving consistently, it was one hundred twenty-nine thousand. So, um, so that's pretty good, you know. I mean, for people that are saving, they're making some good progress. It's really what that tells you. Um, but, you know, the bigger numbers apply to savers who are consistent. I mean, the average averages are smaller overall when you include people who haven't been saving in an account since the market hit bottom in 2009. You know, retirement nest eggs also fall short for people who may get sidetracked for job losses or bigger bills or medical bills or things that come up like that. Um, And perhaps even after borrowing from their 401k to cover emergency expenses, you know, they fall woefully short, Um, you know, and others, they lose ground by working part time or taking small taking jobs at a small company that doesn't have access to a 401k plan. So there's lots of reasons, you know, and these depressing statistics have inspired Congress to pursue changes that could help through this new SECURE Act. So we're going to look at four scenarios here in ways that this proposed legislation could address some roadblocks for retirement savers. So the first one here is um, there's no retirement plan where I work. So that's the first scenario, you know, that your company doesn't offer a retirement plan. Um, for So smaller employers who aren't offering retirement plans at all, um, a lot of them say it's because it's too costly under the current restrictions and rules. Um, So as a result, the latest retirement bill attempts to create some incentives to provide some low-cost solutions for small employers to address retirement needs of their staff. Small businesses will be able to band together um, in groups, and they'd be able to offer retirement plans to their workers through multiple entire employer 401k plans. So the idea here is to obtain a more favorable investment results um, and through more efficient, less expensive management uh, because they're able to band together in these groups.
1: Yeah, the bill would also offer increased tax credits for up to three years to help uh, reduce startup costs for some of these plans. And so small employers can make it easier for workers to save. And these small employers would also have a tax incentive to use automatic enrollment as a part of their savings plan. And under those auto-enrollment plans, workers are automatically signed up to contribute a certain percentage of each paycheck unless they choose to opt out before the money is taken out. So... Yeah, I like it. I mean, yeah.
0: in general, I like the auto-enrollment a lot. Yeah, yeah um, I do. I think the grouping plans together really isn't going to work because yeah, that, that doesn't seem like... Doesn't it sound doesn't, easy to me. Doesn't sound easy to me. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So, you know, also, I mean, depending on <clears throat> the uh, plan, employees also may have a 90-day window after an auto-enrollment to opt out by withdrawing their contributions and earnings. So, you know, they'd automatically be enrolled um but you know if they take money out of course they're still going to be subject to a, <clears throat> a 10% uh you know withdrawal penalty after that 90 day window but during that 90 day window they can take it back out without that 10% penalty and then um you know but but also once they auto enroll i think there's also auto increases that will happen um on a yearly basis per this bill it can automatically increase the amount you're given each year as well, and that can make a big difference. And um, you know, and then they're also part of the Secure Act is that it would uh, it would boost your your rate all the way up to fifteen percent per year automatically over the course of time. So it gives you that ability. It gives an employer the ability to automatically enroll you, automatically increase your contribution all the way up to fifteen percent.
1: Yeah, and expanding the coverage for smaller companies, it would certainly help younger workers address some of the shortfalls. Uh, in addition, a multi employer type of plan. It could significantly shore up retirement savings shortfalls for people who have worked for you know smaller companies their entire lifetime, and uh, employees who spend most of their careers at small companies that don't offer four hundred and one k plans are particularly vulnerable to serious you know f- falling short on retirement savings. And you know some studies show that at least a twenty five percent increase in retirement savings after a long time careers in smaller four hundred and one k companies would certainly uh, certainly be effective. You know, one thing that's not on here is I wish they would talk about education. I mean, yeah, there are ways a, for people to save today that don't have 401k plans. It's called it an right. IRA. That's right. I mean, right. so it's part, part of what we're missing here is the education. Yeah, I it's do piece wish. I,
0: and I wish it were mandatory that they actually had to educate kids in high school, yeah, you know, yeah. <clears throat> um, for financial literacy and saving for retirement and those kinds of things before they get their first real job. Um, but you're right, that's not in this bill. Uh, But another part of the bill that is in here is if you work part-time and your 401k locks you out because you're part-time. Under current law, employers generally may exclude part-time workers, those that work less than 1,000 hours per year, from their 401k plan. And for some women, this rule can be particularly troubling because if they're trying to raise a family and they limit their hours working outside the home, as a result, then they get locked out of the plan. But in cases of collective bargaining plans, the bill would require employers maintain 401k plans to open it up uh, for many of the long-term part-time workers who work at least 500 hours per year for three consecutive years. That's kind of a small subset, so I don't know if that one's going to help a whole lot either. Um, all right, number three here. This one, though, is going to help, and this would be a big deal if they did this. And that is you don't want to dip into your savings and be required to take a distribution after age 70 and a half. Um, Because under current law, retirement savers typically have to begin their RMD, the required minimum distributions, at age 70 and a half. And those withdrawals are taxed um, based on the ordinary income rates um, if the contributions were made before taxes. Retirement plans... um, after all, you know, should be used to pay bills in retirement, right? Not a clever way to transfer, you know, their the money to the federal government through taxes. But as healthy people are living longer, many uh, the the many that are working longer, some argue it would make sense to have mandatory distributions kicking later. So this bill would increase the required minimum distribution age from 70 to age 72. Um, that would be a help. That would be, you know, that'd be a big deal to stretch that out a little bit. They're
1: making it simpler. They're not doing a half a year.
0: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be nice to me. I wish they'd move to like 75 actually. yeah. I think even 72 is a little bit, Mm -hmm. a little bit too, it's not a big enough, doesn't really move the needle that much, but, um, having said that, um, anything's a help because I think the RMD is particularly onerous for people that don't want to draw money out of their plan.
1: Yeah, and some people are afraid they'll outlive their money so employers could have an easier time and face fewer hurdles in offering annuities as an option in a 401k plan. As a result, retirees could convert their savings into a steady stream of money each month for as long as the retiree lives. And certainly some people like to have guaranteed income. It helps certainly with the longevity risk uh, is one of the great challenges for retirees. There's some downsides associated with that as well, but that would be an easier option for 401k plans going forward.
0: Yeah. So they kind of build it into a 401k plan. Actually, I mean, you can always roll your money to an IRA and you can buy an annuity outside anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you know what you're doing, you really don't, that doesn't really help you either. You can all, you already have that option available to you. Yep. Um. So, I mean, these don't really move the needle in a big way, but at least Congress is paying attention a little bit to, you know, the kind of the retirement crisis that's looming out there in the future. And, you know, at least they're, they recognize that they need to do something. You know, hopefully they'll they'll get somebody, you know, in Congress that really understands what they need to do. I mean, I I really liked Paul Ryan. I hated that he, Mm -hmm. you know, stepped down. Um, But uh, I think he really got, you know, the financial picture part of part of uh, Congress. And uh, but hopefully, you know, I mean, some of these things will go through. And, you know, if they stretch out the RMD, that would be a big deal. Um, for current retirees and, uh, you know, there's already a lot of tools available, like for, for RMDs, you can now contribute that money directly to a charity. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. QCD, and a, QCD a qualified charitable, con- uh, distribution. Uh, you know, if you're taking your RMDs at age seven and a half, you need to take advantage of that. That's a big tax savings. Um, t- since most people can't itemize the deductions anymore. That's right. So, uh, anyway, but that's the new legislation that's coming up. Hopefully something will get done. And that leads us up here to our question of the week.
1: Yeah, this question is, how is a stock price determined? And this is really generated. We have folks that ask us frequently, uh, you know, are, are we invested in uh, cannabis stocks? Are we invested in growth stocks or technology stocks? Like, you know, there's there are growth in those areas, certainly, but, um, you know, a, a stock price um, all the known information is in that stock price today, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're gonna you read an article in the Wall Street Journal that says, "Hey, the cannabis industry is going to increase by twenty percent over the next five years." Well, that's right. already priced into the stock. You're that's you right. have no advantage, and you know, quite frankly, there's there's thousands of analysts out there that are looking at this stuff by the minute um, and trying to to beat them to the punch It's just doesn't work. So, you yeah, know, the price of the stock is based on future cash flows that the that the company has communicated. Um, certainly, companies do better than what they've communicated, and that's why the stock price goes up. But trying to trying to predict, you know, the ups and the downs of stocks, it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, if you're reading information on the internet that you think might give you a leg up on on buying a stock. You're just a little bit late. <laughs> just just a, little. a little bit late. Um, if you're reading about it, you're late. I mean, only if you have, like, illegal insider information on a company would it possibly give you an advantage. But Uncle
1: Larry giving you a tip would be good, right?
0: Oh, Uncle Larry. I'm sure he knows everything. Yeah, Uncle, he Larry be, has listen to Uncle Larry has the good inside. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, the truth is, you know, everything like John mentioned, everything that can be known about a stock is already in the price today. The price changes immediately. Anytime there's a hint of new information that leaks outside of the company or, or, you know, something that that might affect the company, it's already in the price. So, you know, you really can't predict where a stock is going to go. And, you know, there are some speculative things. There's a lot of emotion that's in that price as well which is totally unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's based on supply and demand. So, you know, the moral of the story here is don't try to time a stock or pick a stock that you think is going to go up because you're probably going to be wrong at least half half the time. Yeah, you're probably going <laughs> to lose. No doubt. So, But good question of the week. And that leads us right up to our next topic, and that is uh, uh article out of DFA, deja vu all over again. What does that mean, John?
1: Yeah. Investment fads come and go. There you go. Bottom line. (laughs) I mean, you know, letting short-term trends influence your approach can be counterproductive. I mean, it just is. I mean, we see investment fads. We talk about them occasionally on the show as well. But, you know, when selecting a strategy for your portfolio, investors are are often tempted to seek out the latest and the greatest investment opportunities. And over the years, these approaches have sought to uh, capitalize on the developments of, you know, some perceived relative strength of maybe a, maybe it's a geographic region, maybe it's a new technology change in the economy. Uh, popular trends like uh, cannabis, you know, we see that right yeah, now. And, you know, but long-term crazy. investors really should be aware that letting short-term trends influence their investment approach, it can be counterproductive. Uh, and uh, DFA has someone on their board, he's, his name is Eugene Fama. He's a Nobel prize-winning dude. He's a smart guy, right? No Um, doubt. He basically says there's one robust new idea in finance uh, that may have some type of implications every 10 or 15 years, but there's a marketing idea every week.
0: Yeah, that's... And he's right. He's exactly right. There's not like significant new findings in finance very often at all. Like you said, every 10 or 15 years. Other than that, everybody just has a marketing idea.
1: Yeah, and so what's uh, hot becomes what's not. And we'll go back and look at some of this and looking at some of the fads. If you go back to uh, the early 1990s, there was something called the Asian Tigers. That was Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan. A decade later, you know, there was the brick countries that was Brazil Russia India and China and uh you know similarly funds targeting these hot industries or trends you know they've come and they've gone they've they've some of them have done well but some of them have fallen out of vogue as well so a lot of trends that we've seen over time, and there's some been some more historical ones as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go all the way back, it's it's crazy how many of these have come around. I mean, right now, right, we have the FANG stocks that everybody's buying. Well, back in the 1950s, it was the Nifty 50. Nifty they 50. They said, you know, I remember when I got in this business, Dick used to talk about those. That, that was my predecessor who owned the company. And he talked about, you know, yeah, I mean, they always said you could just buy those 50 stocks and forget it because that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. 50 stocks, right, the Nifty 50. Then the 60s, they had the go-go stocks, um, you know, that, that you know, piqued everybody's interest. Then in the 20th century, you know, if you remember the emergence of the new economy and the dot-com stocks.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you remember the, the stocks that had no earnings?
0: Yeah, that was the That's dot-com been, stocks. Not, yeah. not
1: novel concept. I, I see yeah, a couple of stocks crazy. out there like that now. Yeah, they do Uber seem to be. Lyft they do that, seem
0: to be making their way back, but you know those companies have the potential for earnings, though they do. But That's a difference.
1: At the same time, you got at some point, you know, the the rubber's got to meet the road on them, right? Well, I
0: agree. I mean, they have to be have the ability to produce revenue. Okay, they don't necessarily have to translate in the earnings, but they have to have positive revenue. Um, you know, that it could turn into earnings if they didn't plow it back into reinvestment, you know, into uh, research and development. But, yeah, back in the in 2000s, the 1990s, it was the dot coms that were just an idea, John. There mm-hmm. were nothing. They bought a URL and it was just an idea. They had nothing, you know, and yet the stocks would IPO and they'd trade for, you know – uh, millions of dollars, yeah. and then they went all went poof in 2000. <laughs> yeah,
1: and during the 2000s, there was something called a 130 slash 30 fund, uh, used basically used leverage to sell short certain stocks, going long on other ones. Um, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. There are things such as black swan funds, tail risk hedging strategies, liquid alternatives. Um, as investors reach for yield in a low-rate low, low rate environment in the following year, there's funds that came up, um, strategies, peer-to-peer lending, cryptocurrencies, cannabis cultivation. You mentioned the, uh, the FANG stocks. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of trends um and and things that are um you know hot one day and then they go for years and years and years and they're not.
0: So And we just heard today that Facebook is coming out with their own cryptocurrency.
1: I did. I, I, did you yeah, hear that? I did. Yeah. There
0: you go. I mean this week. So I mean uh there's a new one out there. <laughs> Hopefully theirs will be based on something real and not just not just some computer program that yep. says, Oh, it's worth this much. So uh yeah. And then there's the – but, you know, there's a fund graveyard. Um, what? Yeah. I mean, funds don't last forever, Most people don't
1: know that some of this information we're about to share. It's that, interesting.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, you know, numerous funds across the investment landscape are launched over the years, only to subsequently close and fade from investors' memory. You know, while economic, demographic, technological, and environmental trends, they shape the world we live in, Public markets aggregate a vast amount of dispersed information. They drive it into the security prices. And, you know, any individual trying to outguess the market by constantly trading in and out of what's hot and competing against the extraordinarily collective wisdom of millions of buyers and sellers around the world, uh, you know, they, they tend to lose. I mean, so... the, the yeah I mean, there are funds that just come and go, and it happens a lot more than people realize
1: yeah and with the benefit of hindsight obviously twenty twenty it 's easy to point out you know where a fortune could have been made by you know looking at a right industry or region or security over a specific period, but while these anecdotes are entertaining there 's a wealth of compelling evidence that highlights the futility of attempting to identify mispricing of stocks and try to profit from it, kind of like the question of the week that we talked about.
0: Exactly, yeah. But it's important to remember that many of these investing uh, fads and, indeed, most mutual funds don't stand the test of time. There's a large proportion of funds that fail to survive over the long term. In fact, of the 1,622 fixed-income mutual funds in existence at the beginning of 2004, Only 55 of those still existed.
1: 55%.
0: 55%, I'm sorry, 55% still existed at the end of last year. What happened to the Um, other 45? So the other 45% (laughs) just disappeared over 15 years.
1: Because they don't have good returns.
0: Exactly. They They just got... They closed You know, they got closed, they were merged away, they, they, you know, just distributed the money. Similarly, the same thing among stock funds. Only 51% of the 2,786 funds that were available 15 years ago... Um, they lasted the 15 year period. That means 49% of them disappeared. Almost half of them disappeared over 15 years. Uh, same thing. They just get, you know, and a lot of these fund companies are just rolling out new funds and, and knowing that they're just kind of playing the lottery here. They're rolling out new funds, knowing that they're going to, they're going to get rid of the bad ones. Mm-hmm. Over the course of a few years yeah they 'll hit you know? some
1: industries that do very well, but if you right. have five hundred <laughs> funds like some of our competitors do yeah they're right. just they're if just playing
0: they 're just playing the odds they 're rolling out you know another twenty thirty funds every year, and then they get rid of twenty or thirty of them that didn 't do very well right
1: so when you 're confronted with choices of whether to add you know a certain type of asset or strategy you got to ask some questions you know what is this strategy claiming to provide? That's not already in your portfolio. And if it's not in the portfolio, can you, you know, reasonably expect that including it or focusing on it is going to increase your returns uh, and reduce your volatility? And finally, you got to ask, you know, you're comfortable with the range of outcomes. And those three questions are hard to ask when you start looking at like cannabis or the FANG stocks or so forth. Um, but you got to ask them.
0: Yeah, that's right. And if investors are left with doubts after asking those questions, you know, it may be wise to use caution before proceeding. I mean, within stocks, for example, a a portfolio uh, of the market offers the benefit of exposure to thousands of companies doing business around the world with broad diversification across industry sectors and countries, you know, and while there may be good reasons to deviate from a market portfolio, um, you know, as we do using asset classes, uh, you got to understand the potential benefits <clears throat> and the risk of doing it. So you got to do it with your eyes open and with a, a, a real purpose in mind. Yeah,
1: so uh, in conclusion, I mean, fashionable investment approaches come and go. Uh, investors should remember that a long-term, disciplined investment approach based on You know, robust research implementation, which is what DFA does, it may be one of the most reliable paths, Um, you know, looking at, you know, we certainly don't try to predict the markets going forward. But, um, you know, if you don't have to hit home runs to be successful um, in investing, you've got to hit singles and doubles, and you can do that over a long period of time. And that's the way you're successful
0: exactly i mean you want to get the wind at your back right you want to diversify you want to use asset classes that are designed that historically have given higher returns um you know you don't want to speculate with your with your real money with your investment dollars um so that's kind of the moral of the story here but yeah great great article about past fads and that leads up to our last uh, topic, and that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yeah, there's some pretty good uh, apps out there for teaching kids about money. Uh, busy Kid, Rooster Money, Current, Go Henry. Uh, I'll just speak to one of them, uh, Busy Kid. Um, this is an app that you're able to to track um, work and allowance, and they get a direct deposit into their account in this Busy Kid. The money is then allocated into three categories, spending, saving um, and sharing, and that saving can actually go by fractional shares of stock. So it's not only teaching kids, you know, when you work, you get paid, but then what do you do with it after that? So that's called, called busy kid. And and Steve, it's interesting. Only about 21% of parents regularly talk to their kids about money. And uh, so this is a way that you can have those conversations.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I like this one that's on the list here, John, called homey. It's an app that effectively uh, is a digital chore chart allows the parents to issue payments upon visual confirmation of the chores that have been finished and it's being used by like a hundred thousand families out there Um, so that's a pretty cool app for small kids called homie yeah Yeah, so a lot of apps out there check out the apps you want to use those toward your advantage when you're raising kids and teaching them about money so great prescription of the week all right that's been this week's edition of money md tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good Children one.